Hi everyone, welcome to the Do It With Rio podcast. I'm really excited today to have Edwin join us. Um, Edwin is from Include Consulting. Hey, uh, Edwin, why don't you jump in and introduce yourself? Yes, thanks. Um, my name is Edwin. I am a diversity and inclusion consultant at Include. Been here for about a year already, but prior to that, my background has always been in recruitment and talent management, both in multinationals as well as in startups. I'm also outside of work, really passionate about gender equality and inclusion. Hence, I'm part of the leadership team at Lean in Singapore as well, which is a huge volunteer organization. So that's just a little bit more about the work that I do. Awesome. I've done a bit of work with Lean in here in Malaysia, and so and so is my wife. She's quite heavily involved. It's a fantastic organization to be in. But today we're going to be talking about diversity and inclusion. And I, I've always had mixed feelings about diversity and inclusion. I think uh, I've met people at companies and, and worked for companies myself who have, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, they, they've just done the surface level fluffy stuff. They've done what they need to do in order to tick a box to say that they've done it. And mm -hmm. I've, I've even come across even worse companies that by doing this diversity and, diversity and inclusion program, they've done it badly. And actually it's had a fairly negative effect on the employees, what the employees think about diversity and inclusion and, and the overall performance of the company. Um, so when I, when, when I first started talking to you and we met a few weeks ago, I was very curious, what made you move from uh, recruitment consulting into diversity and inclusion consulting? Yeah, good question. So I would actually say, Moving into diversity and inclusion has always been a passion area of mine ever since I started my career at Microsoft APEC. Because when I joined, there was actually a diversity and inclusion team here in Singapore, actually literally one person who is such a great mentor of mine. And when I got exposed to the work that she was doing and highlighting a lot of the inequalities as well as the inequities that exist in our workplaces, it really didn't sit well with me and I knew that this was something that I really wanted to change. But I also knew that in order to influence and to be able to move the needle in a full-time role that will enable me to do diversity and inclusion will require business acumen and years of experience. And for me, picking up recruitment and other forms of like, you know, in the space of HR was just helping me to gain experience to help me pivot into this role today. And what was also really useful in, for example, when I was spending two years at Deliveroo, yes, my main full-time role was recruitment, but because there was so much scope uh, that needed to be covered, I was able to develop, you know, unconscious bias training for our hiring managers and even sexual harassment training and just being part mm. of the diversity and inclusion committee there. And that gave me a lot of room to practice a lot of this dni stuff that i do on the side as well mm. uh, apart from just hiring great people yeah that's, so, that's the great thing about somewhere. being in a startup you get the chance to double hat in so many areas and often Absolutely. those areas are driven by what your what your passion is mm. uh, so as i as i mentioned you know I've, I've come across companies who have just done it so badly and when i was thinking about your background you know with recruitment almost all companies need recruitment and, and they rely on recruitment services and they might not like headhunters, but they, they know they have to use them. With inclusion and diversity, it's not always that, that simple. Um, it's not necessarily something that every company thinks that they need. Um, and as I mentioned, some employees are really put off by bad experiences in the past. How, when, when, when you're consulting with a company and looking at implementing a diversity and inclusion program, how do you deal with employees that 
that have had a bad experience in the past that do feel like this is just something the company is doing and it's a waste of my time. It doesn't really impact it. How, how do you get them on board? Because you, you do need them on board, right? Yeah. So I would say the first thing I would do for people who have had a bad experience, for example, what we do find is that the intent is always good, right? But however, mm. the delivery and how it lands and the impact could mix, could be ending up in mixed results. For example, what we tend to see is tokenism, right? We tend mm. to see, oh, we need to hire a, a person from a minority group. And even though this person might not be there, might not be meeting all the qualities, we'll have to hire this person. And then it signals also to the, to the underrepresented person that ends up getting hired and to the rest of them, like, what are we doing here? Are we trading off, you know, quality for diversity? And, and then, of course, this could end up in very bad experiences altogether or even just company communications, right, around messaging of diversity and inclusion and even just how it's representing different mm. identities altogether could land very differently if not checked by the right groups um, and then it ends up having the minority person carrying the burden of educating everyone like this is why it should be this is why it's not fair um, and it puts a lot of unnecessary burden on the person and I think like what you say it could result in bad experiences so if I were to encounter someone who's had a bad experience I think the first thing I need to do is acknowledge that that yes I am fortunately that that's what you've been through in this organization. But I have to also let you know that, that perhaps they had the right intent, but the delivery of, of you and plus the experience that you went through might not have been ideal altogether. But I think we need to also, once we've kind of met them where they're at, kind of help them to once again see that bigger picture around DNI is the right thing to do. And it's the smart thing to do because there have been so many really good evidence and research that has shown that diversity and inclusion when done well yeah. can be so many positive results um and of course that is also where as an individual if you were sidelined or you had a negative experience i think it's really important to go back to that again um around like what we see is that gender diverse teams ultimately bring in 25 percent more revenue than non-gender diverse teams right BCG did another study saying that more diverse teams bring in up to 20% more innovation. And, and I think like when you are able to recognize the case for this um, and help people understand that, it really just helps to make sure that you've got your own mantra and keep fighting for the good fight, right? Oh, def definitely, definitely. But, you know, as, as, as I said, so many people seem to have this bad experience. Why, why, where do you think so many companies mess up? And why, why do you think so many companies can get this so badly wrong so i would say it's two things that ultimately companies really fall short on so let's say oftentimes dni is not a priority right it's often a trigger yeah. like oh somebody complained about something or somebody said something or some you know we see news in the media and then i think we need to run a workshop or i think we need to do this and it's very ad hoc altogether and Oftentimes, we do think that once this is done, we've solved the problem, we're all kumbaya, we're all happy, we're all good, right? Um, and these are very ad hoc, unproven actions that might actually backfire, um, resulting mm. in those negative experiences. So I would say the two biggest challenges and also the two biggest opportunities for most companies to really move the needle on diversity and inclusion and make it work is, firstly, not looking at DNI as a ad hoc kind of initiative but looking at it at a systemic level 
and actually be making sure that DNI is embedded into your organizational strategy, right? And how does it align to the mission of your organization and also in your leadership behaviors as well? And that means setting a framework, that means setting strategies, giving resources, giving funding, holding your leaders accountable and setting targets all together. Because only when, you know, what gets managed gets, wait, what gets measured gets managed, right? So ultimately, that's the one key thing that we see that it's important to really move the needle. Secondly, mm. what we do see is that organizations who at least, you know, know that diversity and inclusion is important, they start measuring diversity, right? And that's easy when you look at measuring representation, number of yeah. women, number of ethnic groups, etc. And that's easy to track because you can count. But oftentimes what they're not counting or easily able to measure is inclusion. So yes, you have a diverse team, but how included are they? Because we do know that a diverse team does not mean that they're inclusive at the same time. And we know yeah. that we need both together. So the question that I ask our, uh, our organizations that we meet with is, are your leaders able to manage diverse teams inclusively, right? Are you able to also recognize that your processes from your recruitment, your onboarding, your performance management, they're actually baked with bias, favoring some groups over others and recognizing that you might need to look at it from a lens of how is it going to be much more equitable, much more accountable and much more transparent. Mm. And, and that's where we see that organizations really struggle with um, on, on this front as well. So to sum up, it's two things, right? They need a really systemic approach, looking at a framework and a strategy and a target and accountability, and then also making sure that they are not only fixing diversity in terms of representation, but also looking at inclusion and equity as well. Got it. Got it. And you, you mentioned a lot about implementing real, real strategies and real frameworks. Again, maybe it's because I've been involved in companies that didn't really have those things. Um, DNI sometimes comes across as a list of rules, a list mm -hmm. of things that say, don't do this, but you can do this. How 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 do you how do you move a DNI program from that kind of list of things to do and or not do into a real framework or a, a, a real strategy? So I actually do have to say that for an organization that's learning to start its journey on DNI it might actually be a list of do's and don'ts, right? Because think about it, like diversity and inclusion is so new to us. It's almost like riding a bike, right? You want to, riding a bike for the first time, you want to make sure that you're doing, you're wearing the helmet, you're knowing where the brakes are, you're doing this and you're not doing that, right? And I do think it's the exact same thing when it comes to diversity and inclusion because we all have biases. We all operate from it because that's how we cope with the 11 million bits of information in our brain that were hit every second and our brain can only consciously process 40 right so mm -hmm. that's also where we need to acknowledge that learning to be inclusive and learning to embrace diversity is very new behavior to us and therefore when we start educating um, individuals about diversity and inclusion it might be a list of do's and don'ts so for example doing would be how are you practicing inclusive behavior so for example what you recommend what we recommend for you to do in your next meeting is make sure that you are hearing everyone's voices that you are don't interrupt someone else right because we have a tendency to do this without even us knowing so i can see that in the beginning it could be actually just sharing with people a, a, a list of actions to do which are inclusive 
and a list of actions that you should not ideally do because they create exclusion um, and inequality altogether. So I can see that once people are much more aware of this and aware of the benefits of doing these things and aware of the implications of, you know, um, non-inclusive behavior, then it becomes a habit altogether, right? And then I, I would say that it becomes a habit and then, then bakes into your culture. And then I would say an organization in itself can be really living diversity and inclusion as its DNA. So I mm. do believe it starts from a list of do's and don'ts in the beginning. But once it seeps into and embeds into the culture, it becomes a way of life already in yeah. itself. No, definitely. And, you know, I've, I've, I've read a lot of articles on DNI in, in general. Some are obviously very, very positive about the, the impact. Others take a, a, a different approach. And, you know, I'm not sure how accurately researched these articles are. Um, but certainly they talk about the dangers of that strict enforcement of diversity and inclusion programs um, and, and point towards evidence that says companies that really do enforce these strict rules actually have a downturn in performance and it has a negative effect on uh, employees. But if, if, if this is true, why, why, why do you think it is so important that companies do continue to do it? I think it goes back to the case for it altogether, right? Like there have been, what I always love to go back to is always the research and evidence about it. McKinsey has been doing this case for gender and ethnic diversity mm -hmm. for years to come. Yeah. And also what we find, right? Like even when you are as an employer looking to attract the best talent, Gallup has also shown, particularly if you want to attract the best talent, they want to go to organizations which are diverse and inclusive. And if we talk about, you know, looking at internal survey data, people will actually leave, I think about 40% of employees would leave their organization for a more diverse and inclusive one. So from a talent angle, right, if you want to attract the best talent and you want to retain the best talent, diversity and inclusion is super critical and will be a game changer for you, right? And I also think that right now we're living in the great resignation. And one of the biggest reasons why people are trying to leave is because they don't feel a sense of belonging at work altogether. Got it, got it. And it's, um, I think you've, you've muted your, your, your microphone there. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah. um, it's, it's interesting that you um, bring up talent because so my, my background is almost entirely recruitment. So my introduction to diversity and inclusion was how, how can I make my recruitment job easier using diversity and inclusion? How can I uh, create uh, an, an image of a diverse and uh, inclusive culture at the company to help attract people and 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 secondly how to retain people so that I don't have to replace them further f further down the line um, what's what's your take on using diversity and inclusion as a recruitment tool um, not just to retain people but actually to make sure and and, and not just to attract people um, but also to make sure that you're hiring the right people um, to that are going to fit the culture that you built around diversity and inclusion. Um, do you think screening tools and assessments in the interview process can really add to a, a the, the culture of DNI that a, a company has built? Good question. So I would say there are proven mechanisms that actually make sure that help. Uh, 
companies and hiring managers ensure that you're hiring the best candidate for you. And what has been found is that the most accurate way to test uh, for the right fit of a person is using a work sample test. And that is essentially asking them questions even early on in the application phase if uh, a, a, a question around a task or an assignment that someone in this role would face. So for example, asking them in the application for a marketing role, if you had $20,000 to spend on a marketing budget for Brow HR or include, how will you spend it and why? Right, And just asking them upfront could actually really help to be able to determine if the person has demonstrated the right aptitude and traits for the job. I'm not mm. looking at where they worked at. I'm not looking about where they studied or what their GPA was or their name or any essential information that could bias me, right? Because essentially, if I look at a CV and I saw that, you, for example, you were from Google, oh, you must be a good candidate. I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> but I might be discounting the company, another great candidate from maybe an organization that I don't know yeah. so well. But if I'm just focusing on how they responded in that work sample test and how they, and, and how they approach that, I could actually surface much better candidates instead of just looking at their plain resume. Yeah. And we actually know that years of experience um, and years and education isn't the best predictor of whether I'm hiring a good candidate. Another great example um, of what I can see is also been proven to highlight great candidates is a general mental ability test. So if you are putting in semantic reasoning or if you are adding in numerical tests that is actually a predictive uh, a highly predictive way of you surfacing good talent altogether so one of the things that i highly recommend is try to remove any of those qualities that could bias you towards favoring a candidate or unfavoring a candidate altogether i mean un unconscious bias is a very interesting subject um with my years in recruitment i've I've worked with so many hiring managers who are very consciously biased. They they they, they have these quite terrible prejudices. But on the other and hand, there's many, yeah, <laughs> definitely. But but they also have these unconscious bias that they're not they're not even aware of. And and I include myself in that. I think over the years I've I've made myself aware of these unconscious biases. And one of the problems that I find personally is that once I'm aware of a, a bias that I have. I start to overcompensate. Um, I start to think I'm 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 judging this person, so I'm gonna do the opposite, and that's and and that in itself is uh, uh, still a form of bias. Um, mm. So how 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 do you recommend recruiters and hiring managers approach this, and how do you think they should confront not just their their conscious bias but also their unconscious bias, and make sure that they truly are being un unbiased? Yeah. So I would say that. It's just important, and, and to take a step back there, recognizing like what you said, we can't get rid of our biases. We have to learn to live with them. I would say a bigger danger and a group we haven't addressed yet is the people who believe that they don't have it, mm. right? And if someone says to you, I make all my decisions objectively, it is actually more dangerous that because they actually believe that every decision that they make is unbiased. And end up, you know, when we have these conversations with them and pointing it out that they've made a certain decision that could be inaccurate or baked with subjectivity, it's a lot harder to convince. So I do think it is important to raise awareness that we have it. And actually using tools like the Harvard Implicit Bias Test can help mm -hmm. surface what those biases could be. So for example, for me, I am still biased about men 
in science and women in arts or men yeah. career, focus on career women in family and this has been proven from the test that i do and even me working in the space of gender diversity i fall into this bias trap and i have yeah. it all together so i think it's important that we uh, recognize it i think my my biggest my biggest unconscious bias or not it's, it's a conscious bias now is towards yeah. english language um and when i speak to someone who doesn't speak good english i automatically associate that with lack of intelligence when yeah. of course it's absolutely not true it just means they they, they can't speak english um and it, it, it's something that i personally have struggled to to overcome and I, I think i have mostly but it's still there in the background as you said you can never truly uh get rid of these uh bias yeah and i think the one thing that i always recommend everyone is to not think that having bias is a bad thing we need it. It prevents us getting hit by a bus. It prevents us to avoid getting punched, right? Because we will. It's the it's the unconscious stereotypic quick part that really helps us to navigate the world better. But we need to just be aware that when we use these quick judgments and stereotypes on in critical decisions like who we hire, that's where we need to realize: are we slow and calculated instead of being fast and judgmental? So going back to the point around how can we make better decisions, I like to use this acronym that we use and include. It's called SEED, right? S-E-E-D. So S stands for stop and slowing down. We know that when we are rushed, when we are exhausted, when we are tired, we feel that we are going to lightly tap into our stereotypes altogether. So ask yourself, before you are going to decide who you're going to hire, who you're going to shortlist, Ask yourself, are you rushed? Are you stressed? Because we know that if you are, you're likely to rely on stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So give yourself the space, if you are a hiring manager or if you are a recruiter, to not spend 15 minutes to sieve through hundreds of CVs. Give yourself the space to do so and slow down. Yeah. E, right? Evaluate. So once you kind of pause or when you've kind of make a decision, for example, take the time to consciously analyze your decision-making and reactions. So you could ask yourself, what assumptions am I making about this profile, right? Are there things about this person that is particularly influencing your impression? Like those things that I kind of like this person or I kind of don't like this person, but I don't know why. That is potentially your unconscious bias at play. Or if you have a strong reaction to something. So kind of take the time to pause and evaluate your current state of mind. Why am I having a reaction to this, for example? And then the next E is all about exploring and looking at different perspectives. And this is where you need to think like a scientist and ask yourself, making this decision or hiring this person, what could be wrong with the, my decision? And when you're constantly finding faults and thinking, what could be wrong with this? What could be loopholes in my decision about hiring this person? You are constantly then considering the opposite, which has been shown to work, actually. Mm. And also you can then also try another way to say flip it so hmm would i have said the same thing or would i have hired this person if or not hired this person if this person was a male or if this person was a different race or this person was much more fluent in english or not fluent in english and when you're constantly putting yourselves in different perspectives and looking for loopholes in your decision it really helps you come to a much richer conclusion here. Yeah. Yeah. They actually found this proven in courts where lawyers who constantly challenge their conclusion end up making much better decisions than lawyers that don't. Um, mm. And lastly, once you've come to take different perspectives, decide D, right? 
once you've made an objective, inclusive decision, have the courage and conviction to stick to it. So stop, slow down, evaluate, explore, and decide. So this is what I would recommend if you're in the moment mm. to apply these techniques at every time before you make a decision. Oh, that's interesting. I'd never heard of SEED before. Uh, but I would just keep it with it. It's just a simple way, a simple acronym yeah. altogether. You know, I, I, I don't have the best memory, so it's always good to have these uh, uh, simple ways to remember things. But um, Edwin, that, that brings us to the end of the session. Um, it's, been, it's been very interesting for me, especially on the unbiased, conscious side and, and, and how to overcome it. Um, if, if anyone who's watching this wants to get in touch with you, what's, what's the best way for them to reach out to yourself or to include? Yeah, feel free to just reach out to me, Edwin Sia on LinkedIn. Um, or even follow our, our company's page on LinkedIn as well. I think what we do is we constantly share a lot of microbytes and short videos unpacking a lot of these concepts on diversity and inclusion because there is an appetite for it. And also to be very transparent, there are a lot of articles and media yeah. talking about it, but present a lot of mixed information or give just a very brief overview of it and that could leave people feeling very confused so what we do at include is just to help unpack concepts together so that you are much more informed to act to really understand how to navigate your environment better mm, that's really interesting so everyone thank you for uh, listening to myself and edwin discuss this topic um i hope you can join us for the next session and edwin thanks again for for joining me today and have Sorry. a great friday awesome take care everyone bye bye